Hey guys, I'm Rachel. And I'm Erin. And this is going to be unsettling. Deeply. We're back. Back again. And uh, this is my first episode since our break. And it'll air on September 30th, the official beginning of Spooky Month. Yeah. So I thought we should go full spooky. Why not? Um, I haven't had a ton of personal spooky things happen since we recorded last. Except for the fact that I was at a wedding on Sunday. And Antonio and Courtney, your wedding was very cute. Thank you for inviting us. But um, congratulations. Uh, but, but so the, I have to start by saying Antonio's family is full of very petite women, like very petite. I am 5'10". So I just, uh, yeah, yeah, giant, like a linebacker, like no part of me is petite. So their family is all these like little petite Italian ladies, beautiful little ladies. So they're on the dance floor. They did like that thing where they put the bride and the groom in the chair and they held them up over their head and did like the dancing. Yeah. So... Throughout the, the reception, there's, like, different times where I'm looking and seeing, like, people's heads just bombing through this, like, group of people. So, at one point, I look over and I see this very small head. But, again, there's a lot of petite women in this family. And the head bobs through, the like, the group of people and keeps on moving. I don't see her for a while. Then the head pops up again. And it's bobbing. And I'm like, she's very, like, rigid. Like, she's not moving much. You would think if someone grabbed you by the waist, because in my head that was the only way it was going to work, like, grabbed you by the waist and, like, hoisted you up and down. Yeah. Some part of you would move, but she wasn't moving. So then this little lady gets closer to me, and I realize I am, in fact, not looking at a lady. I am looking at a three-foot-tall plastic doll with... Um, like a French bob haircut, like right to the chin. And her clothes were like, like older. You could tell her clothes were older, but they looked like they were made out of paper towels. Like Is if you. Italian tradition. So now I'm like terrified because as soon as her face turned and I saw it was a doll, <laughs> I had like goosebumps. I'm like, oh my God, this thing is possessed. I don't like it. I, I don't, I don't want any part of this. And we were the only people like at the wedding that we knew aside from the bride and groom. Because Eric used to work with the groom. Okay. So there's not like anyone we can ask, like, what the fuck is with this doll? I'd be asking strangers. So the one guy that Eric used to work with is a groomsman. So we called him over and we're like, Dan, what's with this doll? And he's like, oh, Cousin Marie. I'm like, I'm sorry? Apparently, Cousin Marie was the mom's sister's doll when they were really little. Antonio's mom. Okay. And... Her sister always got, like, real bad vibes from it. So she cut her hair real short, and then she wanted to throw the doll away. And Antonio's mom was like, no, don't throw the doll away. So now Cousin Marie is, like, in Antonio's house growing up. And it doesn't matter what room Cousin Marie is in, she ends up in the back of pictures. Like, 
She's in the living room. They take a picture in the kitchen. And if you look in the background, Cousin Marie's in the background. That's weird. Yeah. This doll what gave me a real bad vibe. So they were dancing around with this possessed doll at the wedding. And I just could. Oh, God. It was terrifying. It was like, I'll, I'll post a picture of how scary this thing. Like, <laughs> I only have like action shots because at first I thought I was taking a picture of like a little petite lady. Are they not confused by? They weren't phased by it at all. No, but the fact that she shows up. Where she's not supposed to be. Well, they said that's why she has to be invited to things. Okay. Or she- Or I don't I, I don't want to know what happened. Or else. So, I was creeped out by Cousin Marie. But anyway. um, Let's go to 1974. Mm-hmm. Sweet. What do we call it? The swinging 60s? The sketchy 70s. Yeah. Sketchy 70s. Culver City, California. I've been there. Really? Yeah. How was it? This is funny, actually. I for, I I need to write stuff down that I do because they're not. I need to revisit them sometimes, like now. <laughs> so I went to this thing called the Landmark Forum. If anybody's heard of it, please tell me. So it's supposed to be one of those things that makes you a better person. Right? Really? Yeah. Like it's like a thing like that. Okay. So basically, I went. Someone paid for it. That I—that's a whole other story. Why that happened? Because um, it was expensive, by the way. So he's like, "You have to go in LA because all the interesting people go there." I'm like, "All right." So I'm in Culver City with a bunch of—they were interesting people for sure. And there was actually a celebrity there. I won't say who, but he was there. Well, you have to tell me afterwards. I mean, can I just say it? I would think so. Okay, Mike Posner was there. Really? Yes. Why? And this is like a self-help kind of? Yeah. And he was there. And you were there. And I was there. It was like a hundred of us in this room with Mike Posner. That's so strange. I swear to God, after that whole thing, he went and like, I don't know if you heard, like he walked across the country on foot. Yeah. That was like... After this. Oh, my God. And his music changed, like, after this. Huh. And he was, like, my song, he said it, he was on, because we, like, you had a chance to go up and talk and, like, say about your story. Uh Uh-huh. And he was, like, like, my song, what's the song? I took a pill and a bees. Yeah. He was, like, I spend my money on girls and shoes. And he just didn't like being a shallow person anymore he wanted to not be like that oh my god how did i not know about any of this no i feel like i didn't talk about it for a while it was so fucking weird so you had to register it for yourself because it was crazy and i it was like a three-day thing and you would go there and you'd have to be there for like hours and like you signed like a waiver yeah in case you just freaked the fuck out or like die because no because you're just talking about like you're just getting so deep into your personal life and people are like crying and you oh had to, you're supposed God. to like call people and be like, if say you're sorry. It was like AA for like emotions or something. Oh. And there was like a leader and it was intense. That is intense. It was one of the most intense experiences of my life. And it happened in Culver City. And it happened in Culver City. Okay. Outside of the cult that you were in for three days. Mm-hmm. How was Culver City? Fine. Okay. Fine. It wasn't really, like, industrial area there, I think, kind of, you know? Okay. I don't know. Like, it's not, you're not like, I'm going to Culver City. Woo! Like, it's not like a, a vacation hotspot by any means, but it did the trick. Um, yeah, but that was a wacky thing that I did. Definitely. In Culver City. And, there, and all the leaders were like, we're not a cult, you know? And I was like, I don't know. 
I don't know that, honestly. They want you to like, keep going, too. But they do want you to talk to your family and friends and make amends and stuff. And usually Colt would be like, don't talk to your family, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. they'll encourage you to do that. Okay. So I get where they're going. But you can still... I still get emails from them. It's... it's Maybe don't email them back. I, no, it's just like a mass email. Oh, okay. It's not like personalized. <laughs> but it was like, cool. Like, it's something I would do again. Like, really? Yeah. Okay. I would. Sure. So, um... 1974, Culver City. Um, Doris Bither, Bither was a single mother of four boys who reached out to Barry Taff after seeing him in a bookstore near UCLA giving a lecture about paranormal activity. Uh, when Barry Taff completed his lecture, he was talking to the guests who attended and he heard the fear and helplessness in Doris's voice, but never could have imagined what she was about to say. Doris herself didn't have the best childhood growing up and during her young adulthood struggled with substance abuse and mental illness while getting in and out of abusive relationships. So not great. She was prescribed medication for her mental illness, but that didn't come without the stigma of needing medication and taking it because it's the seventies and no one knows how to act. She seemed to get her issues with substance abuse under control and was living a happy and busy life as a mom of four boys until one night where everything changed. Also, just want to mention, a lot of the sources I say say, see, a lot of the sources that I read said she has four boys. Mm -hmm. One source said she had three boys and one girl. Okay. I feel like it would probably be the majority. That's what I would think. So I stuck with four boys, but if I'm wrong, don't sue me. So I tried to get the specific date of the first occurrence that had happened, but I guess it was happening so frequently that Doris couldn't recall the date of the first time that it happened. But she rem- she remembers exactly what happened. One night she was woken up in her bed by pressure on her arms and her legs. Like she was being held down, but she couldn't see anything that would cause that pressure. Like she opened her eyes, nothing was there, but she could not get up. So as her eyes adjusted to the darkness of her bedroom, she saw two smaller creatures holding her arms and legs down and a third larger being standing at the edge of her bed. Doris knew she wasn't dreaming because she could feel the pressure on her body and the pain of what she endured. Doris claimed that the spirit at the edge of her bed raped her, and when it was done, all three phantoms simultaneously disappeared. Doris assumed she was in a very lucid dream, and there was no way that that had actually happened. I would, too. Right? So, when Doris woke up the next morning, she saw physical receipts from, like, the interactions that she had the night before. She had bruises on her arms and legs, like she had been grabbed and held down. And Doris wasn't in a position to ask for help. She was an unmarried woman, on medication, with four kids from four different fathers. So, she she wasn't a reliable source. Like, she couldn't go and say this happened to her. So she had just assumed no one would believe her. So Doris acted like nothing happened, and when she went to bed that night, she realized she wasn't dreaming because she had to endure that torture all over again. No. Yeah. So these events occurred for years. And for some time, it seemed like the entities, as she called them, were only interested in Doris. But the entities weren't shy. Like, they had shown themselves to her sons. Okay. So, Doris's sons were like this helpless audience to their mother's abuse by a force that they began calling Mr. Who's It. Like, who's it, what's it kind of thing. Um, 
Doris's son claimed that he went in one night to check on his mom when he heard what sounded like she was in distress. And he was horrified when he opened her bedroom door to see her being flung through the air across to her bedroom wall by an invisible force like a ragdoll. Mm. Mm-hmm. And when he tried to intervene to help his mom, he was also thrown across the room like a bag of trash. And he ended up breaking his arm during that encounter, which he was treated for, but said he fell out of a tree because, again, saying a ghost broke your arm probably wasn't going to go over well. Quick pause. Have you heard of those people that say they're like... In relationships with ghosts and have ghost sex. Yes, ghost sex. That's all I can think about. So that is like, I think I think they like classify what's happening in this case as that same thing. It's like. But it's not. Well, it's still, I think it's called spectral, but it's like spectral intercourse versus this was spectral rape. Okay. Because there wasn't consent. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I do. I have heard about, and they like it. They try to get married yeah. to the ghosts. It's a lot. That was the lady that had a, a hole in her skull, right? That she drilled herself. Oh, I don't know anything about that. Yeah, I think she like put a hole. There's a word for it. Why? Because it's supposed to help you like open up your third eye. Oh no. Hmm. There's like a whole thing about drilling a hole in your skull. Look it up. Come but. On. Maybe not, because I don't even know what those pictures would look like. I won't. So, uh, later, when asked about the entities, her sons referred to them like what they eventually will get to the point that they enlisted the help of investigators. And when they were asked about what they these entities look like, her sons referred to them like a fog. Human-like, but not quite solid. Mm. Brian Harris, who was Doris's oldest son and shared a bedroom wall with her, said he would have to lay there and listen to his mother get beaten and slapped, and there was nothing he could do to help her. And when he would peek in her room, it was just as disturbing as listening through the wall because he saw his mom being picked up, slapped, punched, but there was no one else in the room. So he's just watching her fly across the room. And Yeah. All of Doris's sons not only confirmed the encounters, but eventually were also victims. After a while, the entities didn't seem to be satisfied with just Doris, and they turned their attention on the entire family. Um, They had all reported being hit, bitten, scratched, and they left, again, visible marks after meeting with these attackers. So at this point, Doris was desperate for help to save her children from the agony that she had been experiencing for years. And this brings us back to when Barry Taff was giving a lecture in a bookstore near UCLA. So Doris approached Barry Taff and Barry was expecting to hear the same thing he normally hears like, you're very well spoken or I heard about people having similar experiences to what you say because he would talk about his experiences. Doris, however, looked at Barry with eyes of desperation and said, please help me. There's an entity that has been attacking me for years now and it wants to hurt my children. So Barry Taff organized a team of 30, yeah, 30 paranormal investigators Interested in Doris's case. And, like, I don't know what that means. Like, could we be paranormal investigators? Like, not even to be offensive. Like, is that a is that a qualified thing? Like, do you have to get certified in paranormal? Inve- How does that work? No, I feel like you just have to have equipment. Right? Some sort. And, and like, an interest. And, yeah. Because I was, like, 30 people. But then if it's, like, just. It's, yeah. 30. There's, I don't think there's a school. Yeah. Ghost school. So. 
Um, they started with simple interviews with the family members, and each family, each member of Doris's family had the same story, similar details. So either it was rehearsed incredibly well, or they were speaking from actual accounts. Brian, the oldest son, did offer that he noticed when he would play Black Sabbath in his room during the day, the encounters at night were much worse. Like, it aggravated the entities. What? How could they be mad about Ozzy Osbourne? I, maybe like, they really liked bats, and they took that personally. Uh, the next step was to monitor what was actually going on in the household. So cameras were set up in each room and recording the entire time. Barry Taft told Doris to act how she normally would. Don't try to um, encourage them. Just, you know, go about your normal life. It didn't take long for the paranormal investigators to see the hell Doris and her family had been enduring. The investigators reported seeing Doris begin to act erratically and swearing while the room that she was in began to fill with, like, glowing orbs that seemed to come from completely nowhere. The orbs were followed by a green mist that crawled out of the corner of a room and took the form of a human torso with muscles. Where's the footage? (laughs) So, the investigators watched in horror as Doris was beaten and raped by what they could only describe as a green mist. So the investigators knew not to intervene as it would only aggravate whatever was abusing Doris. So once the mist was finished and left the home, the investigators took the recordings to be developed. Although the investigators witnessed this firsthand attack, the only the film only showed Doris with an arc of light floating over her head. That's still something. Yeah, but not what was happening. Yeah. Um the investigators continued to monitor and record night after night, but were never able to get concrete footage of the attacks. The developed film was always distorted or blown out or just completely black. Brian, Doris's oldest son, mentioned in an interview that while it was awful before the investigator stepped in, he never could have guessed how bad it would get. After the investigators would leave with the recordings, the entities would attack harder than normal, obviously irritated by their audience. Brian said, I hate when they were here because I knew as soon as they left, they would become so angry that the house would come alive. Barry and the team of investigators were not able to offer a solution to Doris that didn't just agitate the entities more. So she's really back where she started. And Doris wasn't left with really any options. So she decided to move her family back to Texas, which is where they came from, and go into hiding. She put up her home for sale and moved away. She kept in touch with the investigators, but not to the same extent, and didn't invite them to monitor the events anymore in her new home. And she didn't even mention if they were occurring at all. The new owners of the home in Culver City that she sold claimed they never had any bad experiences, and it seems whatever was there left with Doris. No! I feel like that would happen. So why would Doris be a target to begin with, right? Doris had a dark childhood, and at one point she dabbled in dark magic and seances as a teen. Same? I mean, yeah, so that's not great. (laughs) That's not great. Um, The paranormal investigators noted that Doris may have had psychic tendencies, and coupled with the negative energy from being a single mom of four kids, I can't even imagine, dealing with mental health issues and substance abuse, she may have become an easy pathway for the spirits to use. And that's why when the new owners of the home moved in, they say that the entities left. They, they went with Doris. 
Another speculation, which this one's a little wild, is that Doris went into hiding in Texas because she had become pregnant with the baby fathered by the entity. That's too much for me. Yeah, we've gone a little too far. So a book and a movie came out based on Doris's encounters with the entities. It's called The Entities. (laughs) Yeah. And even still, she didn't come out of hiding when they were released, which would have been a really lucrative opportunity for her. Like, yeah, there's a movie about you. There's money to be made. But she didn't come out of hiding. So she didn't make any money off of it? Mm Mm-mm. It was reported, however, that Doris eventually died in 1995 of pulmonary arrest, but never spoke again about her experiences. Well, she died. Well, yeah, but even before that. Her children also don't offer information about their childhood home, and they have remained under the radar. So what do you think was going on in the Bither household? I feel like something was going on. I feel like I'm about to put my Ouija board away. Do you have a Ouija board? Not anymore. That's, I don't I don't mess with Ouija boards. I used to. Uh, no, those you are... You can make it. Uh, why? I don't want one. I made one, too. You made a Ouija board? Yeah. Child. On a my. piece of cardboard. Why would... Oh, my God. It spelled out my mom's old dog's name, Scooter, one time. We were doing it. Not Scooter. I feel like I've told this before. Scooter? I've never heard of Scooter. No. no. My mom never told me about Scooter either. And then we had the board and my sister, I think it was, or it was like my friend, I forget. Oh, Lindsay wouldn't touch that. Yeah, that didn't seem right. Maybe I made it. I feel like it was her. I feel like I made her. We're like, we're going to do it. And my mom was there and she's like, like being, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, um, flat, you know, apathetic. Okay. About the whole thing. Okay. And then spelled out fucking Scooter. And we were like, who's Scooter? She's like, that was my dog's name. No way. Yeah. That's my mom. Scooter. Yeah, and I was like, what? She never talked about Scooter, first of all. No, why would you name a dog Scooter? I don't know, but... I never had a bad experience with a Ouija board, though. You know, I just never dabbled with them because I wasn't willing to risk it. I don't know. I just did. It was in, like, middle school. Oh. So, yeah. But yeah, uh, I found this information from Wikipedia, LAGhostTour.com, and Ranker.com. I haven't watched the movie or read the book. So, and from my understanding, the movie is a really loose interpretation of what actually happened. Okay. Actually, in air quotes. So, um, if what I'm saying is different, that might be why. But also, I just might have gotten something wrong. But no, um, no not us. <laughs> we are professionals. What are you talking about? But, uh, yeah, so thanks for listening. I still can't get past the scooter thing. Scooter, scoot, scoot. Scoot, scoot. Yeah. Especially not in this house. I'm not doing that shit. No, because this is probably where Scooter lived. Probably. I mean, if I could talk to Scooter, that would be one thing. I mean, yeah. Maybe Chibi talks to Scooter now. We don't know. He barks enough, so. (laughs) He's talking to somebody. Yeah, people think the upstairs is haunted. Really? Here? That's where we are. Yeah, we are upstairs. That's great. You know, I was thinking for a spare bedroom, because we're in, like, this is your spare bedroom, right? Yeah. That's a massive fucking TV for a spare bedroom. Yeah, it's bigger than my TV. What? Um, My friend won it in, like, something. Oh, okay. And then I bought it for, like, $200. That makes sense, then. Because I felt like it was a steal. Oh, 200 bucks is a great deal. It's just, it's like a 60-inch TV in a spare yeah. bedroom. Thanks, Sean, for the TV. Um, it looks great in here. Yeah. It found you. a really good home. 
Yeah, I kind of want to hang out here more by myself. Um, but yeah, no, I, I don't think this place is haunted. Me either. People, like, wouldn't stay up here, but also there was, like, a ceramic dolls up here before. Oh, yeah. And, like, a lot of weird stuff, so it was easy. Like, now you come up, and, I mean, we had a girl living up here for a month and a half. She didn't report any hauntings, but she was very quiet. So. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're... I don't know if she would. Your grandma, your nanny... My aunt, she was a collector of all things creepy, so. Yeah. Not, like, intentionally creepy, just, like. It felt intentional. Yeah, what were they called? Not hankles. Hummels. Hummels. Oh, my God. House full of hummels and ducks. It was a nightmare. I just started tossing them. Sorry, nanny. Oh, she's fine. I'm so sorry. Oh, she's fine. Nobody wanted them, though. How many hummels can we give away? It's 2022. Truly. Not 300, I'll tell you that. And it's not like, you know, it's not like the Beanie Babies. We're not sitting on a jackpot here, nanny. No, it didn't work out. It didn't. Didn't work out for the Hummels, but... Anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.